Welcome to episode 143 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Morning, Jason. How you doing? Good. So we got an early one today. So, um, yeah, I got a, I got a lot of topics today. I think we got some fun stuff to talk about. I, you know, it's funny. I was thinking, uh, I, I, I was sort of thinking about topics that I, I want to retire or at least avoid in the future. Topics I feel like we've just talked to death, and uh, like, <laughs> does it matter which programming language you use? <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, or who cares? It's like those kind of those kind of discussions. Should you what release? about the framework ones? The framework discussions. Yeah, you know, it's just old, just old. You know, it's mo- moving on. You know, there's just a few topics that I'm just gonna just, just essentially, you know, can it unless it's there's some really particularly interesting twist to it. You know. So I was thinking about that. So when I was picking up some of the list of topics today, I wanted to find some things that were just kind of, I don't know, more off topic than, than usual, I guess, just to get a little variety. Because I thought that, I think we've had, uh, we haven't done as much of it lately. So why not? You know what some shows do? They, they give you like a teaser up front of what you're going to talk about. So they'll, they'll tell you the topics up the top of the show. And then you kind of get to look forward to hearing about that topic or not. Hmm. Oh, wow. That sounds like a lot of organization. Well, go ahead. Give the teaser. Yeah, how am I supposed to give it? You're the one who's got the topics. <laughs> what are you guess, guess it. Let's do, let's do topic guessing. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to talk about Scotty, the illustrator, who is the magical genius who we've started working with. You know, I didn't write that down, but I do want to talk about it. Let's just go ahead and talk about that one. Then I'll have you. We'll guess one at a time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Scotty... Um, Basically, in, as part of our design for Anyfoo, we've, we've um, started working with a designer called Scotty, who uh, we found via bagcheck.com. When, when we were looking at other sites that we like the design of on bagcheck.com, the reason why we were looking at it actually was because we'd interviewed Luke Rubluski on the Luke, show. Yeah, Luke and, Rubluski, right. And saw in the news that he'd actually sold that, uh, sold that site to Twitter, which is kind of cool, especially since it's so new and young. But but when looking at the site, there was the, these characters on the front of the site, and we were like, "Oh, that's nice. Who you know who illustrated those?" So we did a bit of research, and it's a guy called Scotty from IamScotty.com, and um, we started talking to him about Anyfu. We want to get a character illustrated on Anyfu, and we've been working with him. And all I can say is he's a magical genius. Yeah, you pretty much <laughs> summed it up with that. I think magical genius is is the right <laughs> phrase. Uh, well, okay, so um, let's talk about talk, talk us through the process. Like how 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 did we work with him and and what he come back with? Yeah, okay. Well, one thing I wanted to say is that the way we found him is I just emailed Luke Rabluski and said, "Hey, you know, I know you're busy. Congratulations on booking a win with Bagcheck. I know you're busy, but you know who the hell designed that his characters because they're awesome." And he just emailed me back in like ten minutes. I was like, "This guy, I am Scotty and that's Scotty Jackson's site. And I sent an email to Scotty, and uh, he said he'd be up for helping us out. So, um, yeah. So, talk. You want to talk through the process? Well, that- we yeah, we we had one. I'll I'll talk through it if you don't mind. We we had like one chat with him, um, and basically we said, look, we you know we said words. We said indie, you know, not too cute. We want him. We want the guy to because essentially what we wanted was we wanted a mascot for Anyfu. We said we want the guy to be. Um, like a, a tech geek, but what was the what was the word that we said? It was it was edgy indie comic book, um, yeah, uh, it, it, anime kung fu master tech geek. <laughs> 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 no, and not too old. We didn't and want not like too an old. old, old and, uh, 
it, you know, it's a certain amount to go on, but not too much. But anyway, what he came back with was just really fantastic. And he gave us three, three different options, sketches, and um, he charged 400 UK pounds. So which it works out to about $700. Um, which is, you know, it, it, it is certainly is not a huge amount of money for something as awesome as, as that. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's magic. Like, we just described this. We, we throw, uh, throw him these, this bag of random adjectives and ask him to come up with something. <laughs> and but also, it's just like the fact that someone can draw that stuff just freeform. Like, yeah. that's crazy. When he, sh- when, he, when he showed us the sketches, I mean, it was fast. Like, we talked to him. When was this? Like, two, Monday or Tuesday? And then, like... Wednesday he had the sketches for us and then it was Thursday he had like a rendered yeah sure I mean it was amazingly quick I I I was expecting this to take two or three weeks of back and forth and and everything I I think part of the reason it happened a little more quickly is he really likes he really likes the martial arts Kill Bill kind of right genre he finds the Asian uh anime stuff uh fun to do so I think our um our project appealed to him and he, he he was excited about getting started on it, but it was amazingly quick. Um, how, you know how, that he got how qu- it was amazing how quickly he got it done. But you know what reminded me when he sent me those sketches? You ever, you ever seen like the sketches of like the Star Wars characters when they were designing them before they actually designed like what you know Yoda was supposed to look like or what you know C three PO and yeah yeah yeah. And they had these all these kind of cool looking drawings. You're like, man, that is awesome. How did they just come up with that? And that's exactly what he did, right? He had these just kind of he took. He did either scanned or took photos of his paper sketches that he made for us. But I guess that to him, like when, you know, to, to come and look at us work with code, if, if he was to look at the screen, he'd probably think, wow, that's magic, you know? Yeah, well, I know that people, when I talk to people who aren't technical and they see the stuff that I build, they're blown away and think it's magic, which to me is just like, you know, I, I don't know, it's pretty routine. But um, I can see, you know, when I look at what artists do, I, to me, it's magic. I, I have no idea. I just can't. It's hard for me to understand how to get how to do it. I mean, I understand the process, but it's just so far from my ability that it's uh, it's just really impressive. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I, well, I don't. I, we can keep going on this topic for a minute more, but um, I was I watched a, a great bio with uh, Elon Musk. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But one of his quotes and sort of the, the beginning was, "Engineering is the closest thing there is to magic in the modern world." And engineering. That's, engineering. That's the closest thing to magic. The ability to just create these amazing pieces of technology—that's uh, that's—it's—it's it's almost like magic. Yeah, that was. I would of- say it would be actually talking about ma- like magical code. Um, just something that was executed pretty well, I thought was. Um, have you have you seen GrooveShark.com? GrooveShark. Yeah, GrooveShark.com. I've heard of it. I don't know what it does though. Basically, it's it's um it's like a social music site, but I was just really impressed with the general coding and, and the, um, the UI and the, I mean, it, it feels like a desktop app. Like it's like an iTunes. It sort of feels a lot like iTunes, like a desktop app. And it's all browser based. It's all browser based. Very, very nice. Really impressed. Yeah. Well, you, you can- want to see, so if you want to see what, what do you call it? I like your term pro school. If you want to see pro school coding. Pro shop. Yeah. Pro. No, that's it. Pro shop. Yeah. Check out groovesharp.com. Very that's nice. That's actually, um, that's actually a term uh, my buddy Phil Amen used to use all the time. So it's actually a <laughs> term. I don't want to take <laughs> credit for for that. He he's if you're anyone who's listen, who's listened to that interview with Phil Amen, he uh, he was the he was that partner of my first startup. He's he's a really funny guy, and he was he was just come up with these crazy terms like that. Like, he I, he may have even invented that, but I mean he remember him saying that back in the mid nineties. <laughs> you know, just go with these weird terms. But you know one thing I want to talk about. One thing before we we give too far off the uh, the design stuff is 
it's such an interesting thing working with designers because in one sense it's very exciting because you're like, okay, what are they going to, it's like Christmas. Like you were so, I was pretty excited too, but you were more excited than I was. I think about like waiting for the first designs to come back. Like I can't wait. You know? <laughs> and, but then it's also very frustrating because you're, you're like telling designer, okay, I'm thinking of something and I want you to design it. <laughs> you know, it's like he has, like they could somehow reach into your head and create this thing that you have just this very vague notion of that you can all that you you can't really ex- express explicitly and there's no process like mock-ups for design right you can't you can't mock up your design <laughs> yeah it's it's really it's really a, a tough process and it's really frustrating too because in, in one sense um even when you're dealing with talented uh, people who want to work with you and want to give you what you want um, it's like in one sense, like you don't want to hurt their, if, if something they've done isn't quite what you want, want, you feel bad saying so because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to offend them. Right. Right. There's that. And then you and I are trying to figure out like, well, you know, I, I want to get uh, something that I'm happy with, but then I don't, I don't want to be difficult. So like you and I were both sort of like trying to be nice to the other one. <laughs> it turns out that neither of us were quite happy with the first version of the logo mark itself, the word mark. Yeah. But we didn't we were both kind of being extra nice about it. And then eventually we realized, okay, this isn't quite right. But we're paying a significant amount of money. So we should just be like completely honest about it and try and get what we want. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's absolutely true. I think you're right. It's just, but your, your, your instinct I think is to, is to try and be as nice as possible, but that isn't always, you got to be careful about being too nice. Cause then you'll end up with something you just don't want. It's just very right. efficient to, way to communicate. I mean, you know, people like that you talk to somebody and you're like, Hey, what do you think? You're like, well, this, you're like, dude, just tell me what you think, <laughs> you know, and you have to take this 10 minute process getting out of them what they think of something because they don't want to be rude or offensive, but it's just, um, yeah, it's not really very helpful. But the one thing, the thing I want to say real quick about the design process is that, um, I find it sort of painful. I don't know about you. I find painful. It pain- what, what, what kind of pain? The kind of pain where it's just, it's just like, it's like the pain of creation, the pain of birth. Like you have this, it's like this vague idea of what you want. You can't quite um, describe it in the way you want, but you, you know it, you'll, you'll know it when you see it. But when you don't see it, it's still hard to say sometimes why it's not quite right. And then, but if, it, if it's not what you want, it's kind of depressing because you feel like, oh, it's not going in the direction I want. And you start getting depressed because this vision of something that we're so excited about is not happening. Right. Well, so, see, the thing is, I, I don't know if that is the best way that design comes about. Like, for example, let's say S- Steve Jobs mm-hmm. and Apple, right? I bet you he didn't say to Jonathan Ives or any, whoever was responsible for the main Apple direction, okay, I want you to build something, blah, 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 blah. I bet you they just came back with some different concepts and he was like, oh my God, I absolutely love that. See what I'm saying? Like, I, that's one thing that I really have found in the past is is working with designers where they'll give you like three or four different ideas and then you see an idea and it like really grabs you and jumps out at you so it's not so much as you specifying it as them giving you options yeah i think there's there's probably there's probably some truth to that but i also i know that jobs in particular are supposed to be particularly harsh like i said that's crap you know that's completely wrong no you know he's not he doesn't mince words when it comes to uh, giving feedback on designs or product quality or, or whatever, but I'd be interested to know. That would be very interesting to yeah. That would be very interesting to, interesting to find out how the design process works um, and, and and how Job interacts with the design team. I wonder if there's anything written up on that that's specific, that's specific at all. 
But but so I guess the pain, I, I guess the big pain that's coming for you is because you have some kind of thing, design seed that you want to nurture, but you can't express it in any way. Yeah, you know, you, you, it's like you're not quite sure what it is. You have a sense of, kind of a sense of what it is. Um, well, you know, it, it started to come together a little bit more clearly after we got the first design back from um, Daniel. So Daniel um, Arsenault is our uh, UI brand designer, and Scotty Jackson's our illustrator. Right, so we have an illustrator for the character. So make sure that's I want to make sure that's clear for everybody. Yeah. So when Daniel came back for the first word mark, I mean it was brilliantly brilliantly executed, but it wasn't quite. When I saw it, I kind of realized after thinking about it, I was like this isn't quite right. I, I don't I don't think. Because <laughs> by the way, just just for people so that they know, the reason why is because it it looked a bit like branded packaging goods. Like it might be something that you'd see on um, I don't know a cereal packet or something like that. Um, just a little, a little bit too foody and brand and brandy. So that's the reason I think why we've pushed back on yeah, it. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you and I both had that. When you said that, I said you're like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like a toothpaste. You know, like Aquafresh yeah. or something. Although, of course, you look at Aquafresh, it doesn't look like that. But that's the, I looked at it too, and I was like, after after you said that, I couldn't get out of my head. I'm like, yeah, maybe he's right. You know, it's not <laughs> quite. Why is that not? working for me but it was brilliantly executed it wasn't like there was anything about it that wasn't professional oh, no it was, it it was very very, very high definition and very nice but sometimes it's by getting something that's not quite right that it, you start to realize what is more the right direction mm-hmm. and what really helped was that night i started talk. I, I talked to him again about it and i said and then we started talking about characters or i can't remember what the, how the conversation started and he started throwing characters at me like uh the illustrations that we might use because we had yeah. we had gotten that conversation early on where we said okay it's going to be hard to get across the foo like the kung fu connect foo and technology you know really express that in a logo because it, it, it's a lot of, that's sort of a lot to express in something really abstract and small he's like so maybe what we do is we keep the word mark the logo, just the text, and then we have a character kind of like Zendesk or Hipmunk or MailChimp or some kind of character that can bring together the concepts of this Kung Fu expertise and technology, right? Mm-hmm. And so he started throwing at me, so he just started like in, in, in uh, pasting into Skype links to different uh, iPhoto stock uh, images, different characters, and I'm like, no, no, that's I don't want an, an animal's not right. No, no, that's too cute. No, no, that's too literal. You know, it was just like he was, and then by him throwing at me all these things that were just flat out wrong, it was like by process of elimination, I came up with, I said, all right, here's the terminology. Yeah, we want more of an anime, Asian anime, but not overly anime, but kind of indie comic book, meaning right. kind of edgy. So let's say edgy, and then I was like, it has to be like kung fu master, but we don't want an old guy with a long white beard because mm-hmm. we feel like I feel like the our users, the 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 characters, in some way, going to be either indirectly or subconsciously connected to the experts. So they're going to identif- self-identify to some degree, and I don't. I, I think they're going to self-identify with a character that looks younger. I mean, maybe that's a stretch, but that was sort of something I had in my head. And we also we want to make it like a tech geek. He's like a tech geek master, and somehow, and so we had those, and then I. Uh, and those those adjectives came from as a result of him throwing out me all these characters that were just flat out wrong. And then I've skyped those or emailed those to you or something, and you're like, "Yeah, <laughs> those are the right adjectives, pretty much." Because you kept saying "edgy" to me, like you did not want too cute. And so yeah. that's another thing I kept saying to you. Look, Justin is absolutely uh, against the too cute, and so therefore it's got to be edgy and indie. But anyway, it was by that pro- through that process of elimination that that it helped sort of coalesce these this vision a little bit. Okay, so we, we don't have anything to show right now, but um, 
I think we should move on from this because we've we've yeah. done done a bit. But I, I, just going back uh, quickly to uh, GrooveShark.com, the way that I found GrooveShark.com was because someone posted on our blog. Matt, sorry, Matt S posted on our blog a possible any food competitor officehours.tv. So did you look at that officehours.tv? Yeah. <laughs> now I just want to say something about this, right? So I'm like, I'm on thank the, God for competitors like that. I, I I'm, I, I'm on officehours.tv and I, I don't want to bad, you know, bad mouth them too much. And obviously, you know, we shouldn't be too bad. But what I do want to say is that I'm looking at that site and I have on the homepage that I can bid for the time of someone. And we have uh, a professional, Josh Greenberg, CTO, founder of GrooveShark.com. Mm-hmm. And I can bid for 10 minutes of time. And the current bid is two cents. Yeah. And, and I just want to say that it is not good for us. I don't know whether Josh is probably friends with these guys, but I don't think it's good for brand for, for branding from Josh's own point of view to be on a site where he yesterday when I looked at it, it was actually $2.50. So I think they've pulled a bid down, <laughs> but you, you know, you, you don't want to be like a CTO and be associated with a bid of two cents that, you know, like you, you don't want to be associated with any kind of bidding. It's like when you go to an auction, I mean, the bidding will start at, 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 at an X price, right? I mean, you know, you at a sensible price starting price and minimum price. Otherwise it's just not worth any, anyone's time and let's get it in the right ballpark. But, um, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I, I think what this office hours thing is, is, is completely different than what we're doing. I mean, it has some similarities, but it's a, it, I think it's a lot different. And it's just, it's very nascent. I mean, I think it's one guy is trying to do something, you know, kind of MVP and kind of simple. But, um, yeah, I don't think that's going to, I don't think it's really going to work. But, you know, anyway, it's not, I, don't, I don't really see that as a direct competitor for what we're doing. Yeah, no, I, I don't. But I also, I also think just... The concept of, I mean, this is me doing la critique here. Just the concept of putting in bids for an expert's time is just, I just don't Well, you got to think work. if you're an expert, like what, you know, why, you know, what would be, why would, what would be my incentive? Why would I want to do this? And, um, you know, if I had me on some place where people are bidding ridiculously small sums of, of money or for even small, small pieces of time, you know, because the thing is that. Uh, if I want to do something, I want to, and I'm going to get paid for it. I mean, it's got to be a minimum amount of time of like an hour or something. Cause just the context switch is not worth it because maybe I'm paid for 10 minutes, but you threw me off for an hour. Yeah. You know, what, what just, can you get done in 10 minutes? Nothing. I mean, nothing. I mean, you can barely even make sure that the, the, the Skype connection is much as share a screen for, you know, any time at all in that amount of, in, in 10 minutes. I mean, I think you need at least really for anything to get done. I mean, a half hour is sort of minimal, I think more like an hour for most people and especially people who, if they value their time. Right. And, um, and this is going to be a context switch for you. So, um, it's probably going to be an hour and up and it's probably going to be a premium rate. So like, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, let's say that your long-term hourly rate is a hundred dollars an hour, you know, so you do a project and you might bill 20 or so hours a week at that rate for some particular client. Well, that's easy. A hundred hours is, is might be fine because you do, you know, three, four five hours at a time. But if you're going to do one hour blocks or half hour blocks, it's going to have to be a higher, a higher cost because it has to account for the context switch. Okay. I say that bidding can't work for this, but there is one scenario where bidding could work. And that would be, you, you could have people as high profile as you wanted and you could have bidding, but everything goes to charity. 
the whole thing's just a yeah, charity that's something, thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole different thing, probably. I think yeah. a bit of charity bidding. But I mean, when people are actually gonna going to sell their time for you know more than say once for charity, it's going to be some ongoing thing, and it's actually about income. It's it's got to be more more money. So yeah. anyway, all right. Yeah, so, I, mean, I just think I just think <clears throat> office. I just think what that guy's doing is completely different. And I also think it's kind of an MVP. It's just like this guy's trying something really small and. Right, so go on. What's bring up? Bring up our first topic. Okay, uh, you know it's okay. So I got an interesting uh, email from uh, um, Matt, one of our listeners, um, and he said, uh, "Here, let me just kind of read his email." He goes, "He goes, um, did you say something about how a California couple with no kids, each making mid six figures, trying to save for the future, save for kids, future's kids' school, would not be living the high life?" And I said, "Well." Actually, that's not quite what I said. Did, I, what, what does that mean? Because just the way that you read it, I didn't quite understand. So basically, he's implying he 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 got the sense that I said if you had two people making mid six figures living in California with no kids, that they would not be living the high life. He he thought that's what I said, but that's not right. actually what I said. I said, let's say that you had uh, two a couple each making one hundred and fifty thousand. When I, I think I, if I said mid six figures, what I meant was like one fifty. So they each they combine. So that's three hundred thousand. So you're already in the top one percent. That's in, what we're in, talking in about because that was in, in the context. Of what we're talking about was like what does it take to get in the, in the top one percent of income in the U.S. And it's about three hundred thousand dollars. And so it's a hundred. And let's just say so that's each each person. Is but that's one person, strictly speaking. I would say uh, a couple probably wouldn't get in the top one percent for three hundred grand. No, no, that they're talking. I think they're talking. That's what they're talking about. Uh, families. Okay. about uh, you know household so let's um so i i said all right well you know maybe when he thought when i said mid six figures it was much more than that but and he, he thought i said no kids and obviously i said three kids so let's say you have three kids because i guess mid six mid six figures is five hundred thousand. that's completely different obviously <laughs> no but i just want to work back i just thought of where i was lying i was uh, sort of lying in bed last night thinking about this and i said okay so let's say you make it three hundred thousand dollars a year what can that get you? And in Pasadena, California, not much. So I did a little cal- a couple uh, back of the envelope calculations. So three hundred thousand dollars a year is twenty five thousand a month. Okay. Yeah. After taxes, uh, you know, you you pay about forty percent taxes when you include federal, state, you know, Social Security, everything else. So you're gonna have you're gonna be thirty thousand. Oh, sorry. What is it? Twenty five thousand. So you're gonna be done a month. So yeah. So then after taxes, your take home is fifteen. Yeah, pro- probably more than fifteen. No, I, I mean, I, I just did the calculation. I just did, okay. So about forty percent. So sixty percent of twenty five thousand is fifteen. Okay. Yeah. So you're down to fifteen, and well, let's say that you're saving about twenty uh, percent of that, so three k a month for retirement and uh, college, which isn't very much. That's kind of skimping if you're if you have three kids going to college and retirement. So let's say that you're going to save five of that. Okay. So one thousand each month for each kid for college and two thousand for retirement. Okay, mm-hmm. so now you're down to now you're down to ten thousand. Well, okay, to buy a four bedroom house in Pasadena that's in decent shape. I'm not talking about like some rickety shack, and I'm not talking about something that's a palace. I'm just talking about something that's in nice shape here in Pasadena. Will cost you about one point two to one point five million. Okay, mm-hmm. and the uh, mortgage on that is probably going to be on the low side if it's 1.2 and you got a good rate and I'll stuff about 8,000 but probably closer to 10 it could be closer to 10,000 if a 1.5 million dollar house assuming they 10,000 a month 
yeah, ballpark eight to 10 kind of range. So now you're pretty much out of cash. <laughs> okay, you, you haven't paid for your cars. You haven't paid for uh, insurance, health insurance. You haven't paid for life insurance. You haven't paid for groceries. You haven't saved. Well, the, the, I, I don't believe the 40% thing. But anyway, I, 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 I don't believe that you only end up with 15 grand out of 25. I think you well, end up with more. Well, I mean, it's, okay, but so, it only brings you a couple of extra grand, well, so it know, doesn't make much of a yeah, difference. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, first of all, you have... You have a federal tax at, at a tax rate above, I can't remember what is it. It's going to be 39%. So the lower, you know, the first 25,000 is at what, 15%. And then it's like 28% and it's 35. That's just federal. That doesn't include state income um, and uh, social security and everything else, right? Yeah, but like, who, like, how are they earning 150,000? Are you earning it through a, a company like you or I? Because the thing is, if you're running it through through a company, then you know taxes work completely differently. I mean, as no, you know, you no, it doesn't work completely differently. Just you have, if you are yourself, you have to pay your uh, your own, um, you know, the self employment. What they call self employment, the, the sort of the employer side of like uh, unemployment tax, I guess. And so, but it, it does work differently because you you know you have expenses and you you know it's not like it's 100 percent coming into you and you're getting taxed for 100 percent of that. Like you don't get taxed on 100 percent of it because it's expenses and. You can work. You can work your cash flow differently, so that, for example, rather yeah, than paying only, for a car, only, your personal only money. so many games you can play. Though, I mean, you can't. You're not going to get off. I'm not talking about you. You know, you living off of a, a, a dividend stream. You know, you're making regular income. Say, most people are employed, right? They're not right. self-employed. And let's just take the simple case. You know, and the simple case is that when you add everything up, you know, if you're getting off paying thirty percent income tax, you're really you know, got doing well if, if you're making 300 grand a year. And, right. Uh, right. So whatever, that's just a couple thousand. So yeah, yeah, yeah. A year. So what I'm saying is $300,000 a year, you can't even honestly buy uh, a, a house that's big enough for everyone to each of the kid to, kids to have their own room in Pasadena and afford it. And we're even talking about private school because most kid, most people send their kids to, you know, private school. It's going to cost you about 20 to 20, $25,000 a year. Per kid times three. And so, how much money do you need a month to be really to to for the, for this happy lifestyle to um, be really really flush in Pasadena? So, what I would call that, I would call it entry level rich. <laughs> I was right. thinking about that last. What would I call entry level rich? I mean, we're not talking mogul. We're not talking that you're fun. You're funding charities and you're you know you're a big shot. We're just talking to somebody who has. It's like what would what would you define as is 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 rich? You have to be able to at least have a beach house. If you can't even afford a beach house, you're just upper middle class, right? If you had a beach house, you want, right? I mean, you know, that's not rich, right? Would you I st- guess. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, look. I mean, you know, if if we if we were talking to a Buddhist monk, rich rich is a completely no, different talking, concept. Look, we're not talking about 18th century Europe. We're not talking about Buddhist monks. We're not talking about people who live in uh, the barrios and uh, Mexico. We're talking about California, you know, where we live upper middle class. At what point do you make the transition from upper middle class of couple living on a budget to somebody who's pretty flush, who's, who is, who you would define not as having a nice life. I'm talking about rich. Okay. Let's get our semantics right. We're talking to somebody who is, who, who would you say that guy is rich, right? You'd at least have to build a Ford at a beach house. I'm not talking about a mansion. I'm just talking about some, you know, beach. But house. Why, why would you what, just, just explain why that arbitrary thing? I mean, because if you can't even afford, I mean, I wouldn't call somebody rich if they can't even, if they, if someone says, says oh, I'm like, hey, you know, we got a beach, you know, or, you know oh, I don't even have enough money for a beach house. I mean, that just doesn't, 
That doesn't strike me so much rich. It sounds to me as somebody who's upper middle class. That's it's really funny. Just to, just to have this, even to have this conversation, it's a funny conversation. Um, but let's I just don't go, know. Let's go. Okay, go with my definition. Okay, maybe your definition is okay. That's your definition of rich, right? You have to have a is, your definition is if you own a TV and you have a, your own bed, you're rich. Okay, my definition <laughs> is here's my definition of entry level rich. Okay, no, that, that's not my definition of I rich, know, by the way. But got anyway, that. Go I got yeah. it. Your okay. definition of rich, rich is you live, you got a hut and a, and a TV, got electricity. No, 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 no. That is not my <laughs> definition of rich. You haven't asked me what my definition you have of rich many is. Good friends, you have a lot of good friends. You're rich. <laughs> no, my for for me, it would. I think I it would be a lot more money than what you're you're discussing. But anyway, okay, I'm I, talking entry level rich. Okay. Entry level. Okay, right. Mo- moderate. You would have a uh, beach house, or you know, maybe if you're not in the beach, maybe you have a, a, a you own a, a house up in the mountains, one or the other. You at least one house, one be one second or summer home, a second home, a second home. Be able to afford, you be able to afford a home at least, you know, four or five bedroom home, one for each of the kids, maybe a guest room in your own room, own house in Pass in Hatton, California. Okay, we're not talking about in Arkansas, or Ohio. We're talking is that with or without maids? No, and and, and you could have and you have a maid. I'm talking about, you know, a full-time live-in. You can have at least, and you have a nanny for kids. Not full-time, <laughs> okay? okay? Right? <laughs> you can send each of your kids to private school. Okay? Yeah. I mean, most of the people that I, I know around here actually send their kids to private school. We don't because <laughs> we can't afford it. But, you know, all the kids in Colby's soccer team, it's funny. They all go to Chandler or Poly or High Point or whatever, and it's like two grand a kid per month. Um, you don't have to drive like a Ferrari, but let's say you drive like an entry-level Mercedes, you know, uh, an Audi, a new Audi, you know, a new... Uh, like I used to own. Like you tried to own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bankrupted you. Yeah. You know, a nice uh, Lexus or something, you know, 50 grand a piece. Go uh, on. So how much money you need for this? I think... Oh, 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 hold on a second. Okay. Then, of course, you have uh, the, the country club, right? You just have a social membership, not a full membership to the Valley Hunt Club or Annandale. <laughs> you know, it's probably five grand a month at least. Right. Well, Maybe, maybe, maybe more, maybe eight grand a month. But let's say five grand. I think to be able to pull that on, you got to be able to take like a, a few big vacations a year, a three month vacation, you know, the Caribbean or somewhere in the summer, maybe a big winter vacation. We go skiing in Aspen for a you know, week and a half and maybe something in the spring where you don't have to sweat it. Like, yeah, we can do that. Everybody's got their own nice car, plenty of money saved for vacation. You know, you're not. Every rich. kid in the family's got a car. Well, what's their, once they're in high school. Or once they can drive, they each have, they don't, they're not driving really nice cars, but you know, even you don't want to buy your kid a crapper car because then it's going to be a headache for you because it's always in a shop and you're, you want it to be reliable. So you're probably, okay. Tell us how much I would ballpark about a million dollars a year. I would a million a year. A million. I think you'd have to make a million a year to be entry level rich and live in New York, you live in Pasadena or say San Francisco. Now live in New York city. You probably even have to have more. And now if you lived in say, if you lived in some place like, um, I don't know, let's say Florida or someplace where it had good public schools and the housing is cheap, you could probably make maybe half that. Do you probably live for half the cost? I mean, a lot of it gets eaten up by uh, housing. So yeah, it's, million, just, it's just the cost of the place. A that's million a year. Lower, that's entry lower rich. That's not, you know, big shot, you know, guy. That's not, that's not you know, what's it? Mr. Potter from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Wow. Yeah, Mr. Potter. You're not owning the, the local bank or anything. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, all right. Well, thanks a lot for that breakdown. I hope that uh, <laughs> clears it up for the listener. Who, uh, sent me that email. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Go on. You got anything else? Well, you know, um, I, I, you know, uh, Michael Rakita actually posted an interesting comment because we were talking about the downgrading of U.S. debt from AAA to AA plus. Yeah, that was interesting. 
And one thing we sort of concluded with is we said, well, at this point, it's probably just symbolic. It's an important symbol, but it's probably just symbolic. He actually um, brought up a, a good PowerPoint that I wasn't aware of. He says that uh, actually U.S. debt down rating downgraded to AA plus is not just symbolic. There are many mutual funds that can hold only AAA bonds or have to hold certain percentage of AAA bonds according to their holdings privilege profile. They will have to sell U.S. and state bonds that were downgraded and replace them with something else, which yeah. is interesting because if that happens, if you have, that's something they call that, uh, you know, if, they, if they're liquidating those bonds, um, that, that will drive down the price of bonds, which then uh, increases the price of, um, I think ultimately will decrease the price of interest rates. Yeah, us, which you know makes it makes growth difficult and everything. But uh, anyway, I thought that was an interesting point. I, I hadn't uh, I hadn't known that. Now now that he said that, I I I now I I've definitely heard that before, but I'd, I'd forgotten about that. So interesting. So the end of the last episode, um, <clears throat> you let the cat out of the bag about me automating my um, Twitter feed, and uh, then that caused the whole storm. <laughs> a storm or Udi? An Udi storm? <laughs> An Udi storm, like a mini storm. So. Udi wrote on the blog, <clears throat> Today I lost my faith in Justin Vincent. I'm following him on Twitter as a content filter, among other reasons, of course. If he shares something, it's probably good enough for me to read. Now I find that he uses me and other followers to filter the content for him. I feel betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> oh, okay. Okay, well, so here's enough. the deal. So here's the deal. You... One of Plugio's features is that it can automatically... You can set up like uh, RSS feeds for it to parse, and then you can just click on links and say, okay. So it can, it can read like, uh, you know, uh, I guess an a RSS feed from any blog or, for instance, from Hacker News or yeah. Dig or something, right? Yeah. And what you did is you said, okay, what'll make, rather than having to cut and paste the links, is okay, what, I, what you can do is you can say, click on links, say, add this link, add this link, and add this link, you know, to my Twitter stream, and then schedule those out later as opposed to cutting and pasting. But then, you also you went the next step and you found an algorithm or you that you're happy with that would just grab the top stories and put and, and post them periodically, right? That's that right. So yeah, so for so for a year and a half, I basically would go into Plugio and manually look at the stories and schedule them. But then um, the customers kept on asking for the ability for an for a full RSS feed to to just tweet. So basically, it just tweeted anything that was added to the stream, anything added to that particular RSS feed. So I added that, and then what I did was I I set it up using different settings that I'd enabled within Plugio to look at Hacker News and to post the top story once every three hours. So once every three hours, it goes in and gets, gets the, the, the highest trending topic on Hacker News at that particular moment in time, once every three hours. And so this is like after a year and a half of me doing it manually, I, I'd had a go at doing this. You did this. It for a year and a half manually? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then I had a look at this and, and it's a lot of commitment to do that every day for a year and a half, let me tell you. So then I, um, I watched it for five days and the surprising thing was that it did a better job of finding tech stories than I did because my, my tech stories had a certain bent and a certain angle. And plus also what I would do is I would go in once a day in the morning and schedule, you know, 10 tweets for that day during the morning. So uh, it, by me scheduling those 10 tweets, because I, I basically post one every three hours, I, sch I actually schedule 12 a day. And the thing is, is that they kind of go out of date. They're, they're not as current as, as the latest ones. So the other algorithm, the automated algorithm that was picking the top Hacker News story every three hours actually created better content than I did. But Jason, then um, you have this point about honesty. 
right? So t- t- talk us through that because you feel very strongly about this. Well, I, you know, I, I do. I don't, I think probably like a lot of people, I don't like dishonesty. I don't like lying and cheating of, at, at any level. Um, obviously, when I think the presumption on something like Twitter, when you post or you tweet something, it's you. When you say, hey, read this story, it's like, I've read this story. It's really interesting. I think uh, you guys should check it out. Um, and I think that without somehow saying, I didn't actually read this, <laughs> I didn't have an algorithm that picked it out. Um, it's sort of a deception because people are getting the impression that you filtered it and you read this, and this is something you're sharing with people. Now, if it's just an algorithm, you know, it's just a bot doing this. It somehow seems uh, wrong to me. It somehow seems um, that there is a deception going on. Now, is anyone getting really hurt? Is it a, on the scale of, of, of things that matter in this world, where does it rank? It ranks almost at zero in the things that matter in this world. But is it uh, genuine or is it, is it truly um, uh, an honest uh, behavior? I'm not sure it is. I'm, I don't think it is. I find it. If, I don't really use Twitter because I, I just don't, I think it's just one more thing that I don't have time for. Um, so I, I, I don't, I, it doesn't, there's no skin off my back personally. <laughs> I don't really care, but if I was reading something and I thought it was from somebody and it turns out they, and they never even posted or read this stuff and they were just, it was just some algorithm that they used to, to, to put in filler, I would get kind of, uh, I would be kind of irritated about that. That's why I brought it up with you. You know, so, that's why I asked you, cause I, cool, what brought it up to me is like, there were some stories I'm like, I know Justin didn't read this crap. I mean, he doesn't even find this interesting, much less post it. So I was like, this is really weird. Like this, there, there was, I mean, just one that I re- that stuck in my head was something about, you know, some arc, uh, sort of arcane uh, subtopic of Python. And I'm like, Justin doesn't even know Python. Why the hell would he be posting that? I don't even know what <laughs> okay, but, but I mean, just, just, to, just to clarify, I've moved back to manual posting because I feel depressed about this, right? And I felt really sad after the discussion. Now, Udi, it, I don't think sad is the right word. Now, Udi, um, uh, basically, uh, during our conversation on the blog, said that he was only joking and that it's not a problem, that he'd probably do the same thing. But still, it's just, just the point of, of what it brings up. So I have gone back to manual tweeting. I'm going to do manual tweeting. But I still do want to argue the case for the other way, right? Okay. Because one thing is, I've, at this stage, you've got eight and a half thousand followers, and they they all have different interests, but they're all tech related. All those people are tech related, right? So, isn't it better to give them a better spread of tech tweets, a more you know um, uh, what's the word, a better representation of tech across all the different brands than just something that I'm very specifically interested in? I mean, I kind of thought that the whole eight and a half thousand followers that I have were getting much higher quality content the other way. But then, you know, isn't it better to give them high quality content versus being 100%, you know, manual? I mean, I, d- well, I let's, don't let's, get let's, it. Let's, 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 let's take it to the next level, okay? Let's say that you hired somebody who is really funny and, spend, and could spend a lot of time coming up with really uh, witty tweets. And uh, you just you said, I'm not, he's just going to Twitter under Justin Vincent account. That would probably be considered wrong if, people, if they never disclosed that it wasn't actually you being that funny and clever, Right. It's actually, okay. you think, well, everybody enjoys this so much more. They, they have so much better. These things are so clever and funny. And uh, it turns uh, out it's not actually me. People would be sort of, they would Okay. Be well, then, then in, that, in that case, we shouldn't edit the podcast because we're not as clever and funny 
uh, in real life as we are on an edited podcast because the edited podcast makes the entire thing hang together better. So are we, are we being dishonest by editing the podcast? I think the presumption is when you listen to a podcast, you listen to a radio show, that there's a little bit of editing to clean things up and to make it sound a little better. I don't think so it's okay. I don't so think anybody, I don't think, I don't think many people assume that every single sound that you and I utter for the entire time recording is is on this. But it doesn't just make things better. I mean, we cut out stuff that we don't want to put out because we think it makes us look stupid or whatever, right? But that's basically well. Lying. Not, yeah, usually it's like you know, usually it's like we bring up a topic that we decide we just probably isn't a good fit for the show because it's either going to be too political or too. You know, or we or we talk about something that has to do with one of our clients. We're like, you know, what? I can't actually talk about that. Or there's sometimes you'll say, you know what, Jason, you you uh, you kind of stammered there for a second, so I cut that out. I don't think anyone is going to be like, oh Jesus, Jason is totally fake because Justin cut out two points in the show where he uh, he did an extra long wind up before asking the question. I don't think anyone really cares about that. They're probably like, thank God. <laughs> Right, but I think I think it's all has to do. But there's there's definitely been times when when we've said, oh, you know, you've said, oh my god, that what I said there was just so stupid. Can you just cut it out? So that's what I'm saying. That's that's like selectively picking and representing the best side of yourself. So what's yeah? Well, that's that's lying. That's lying right there. No, no, come on. (laughs) You know, there's there's a line there. There's 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 you know, editing. Um, editing out some of the content and ours, by the way, is probably one of the least edited shows of any podcast. Okay. The only one who probably is less edited than us is uh, Mixergy because uh, Andrew Warner, I guess, heard, I guess Gary Vanderchuk convinced him not to edit. Yeah. Which is about, which, so that's about it. It is just an interview show. So um, I don't know. I, you know, what'd be interesting what people say in the comments. I, I don't think I don't think I think the presumption is in a show that there's going to be at least slightly edited to clean things up. Um, you know, if, if you and I are going to talk for an hour and a half, or hour and forty five minutes, and, and we are on occasion going to say things that we wish probably aren't in the podcast, either because they're inappropriate, they're going to start an argument or a flame war that you really don't want to spend time having to to fight, or we say things that just were incomprehensible or didn't make any sense. You're like, eh, you know, just remove that. But uh, I don't think that is dishonest. But I think hiring somebody to write your tweets under your name without disclosing that would be obviously on the other side would be another shame. Would be it would be dishonest, and people would be really uh, offended if they found that out. And I think having a bot parse feeds and post links with the presumption that is you filtering him is dishonest. But I don't think it's nearly as bad as hiring someone to write for you. But I still think it crosses that line, and that's why I kind of brought it up. But interesting. Let's hear some comments on this. I have a feeling we're gonna have some. <laughs> No, it'd be interesting. But I'll, I'll have to say this too: I didn't want to make you feel bad. I feel bad that I made you feel bad. I wasn't trying <laughs> to make you feel bad. I, well, I mean, look, all that all that's happened is I've moved, I've I've turned that off, and I've gone back to manually tweeting, and now my my tweets are a little bit more stale than they used to be. I mean, I still I still have the same source of tweets, which is the, the same basic feeds. But you but, read, um, you need to make sure that you read everything. You read read everything that you tweet. Yeah, I always. I mean, if I'm manually doing it, I'll always have a look at the story and make sure it's interesting before I tweet it. Okay, but yeah. but the thing is, the the other algorithm that picks the the highest trending topic from Hacker News every three hours, it's going to be interesting because, like a lot of people have said, that it's interesting. So now, one thing I suggested that you could do if you wanted to is you could put in braces uh, HN feed or best of HN, right? Yeah. Like you could do that at the front of it. So that people understand that this is something that just got pulled off for their benefit, but you want to make sure that 
this isn't necessarily you recommending it because you didn't. You may or may not have even read it, but it is spiking. I think it's it's all about it's all about sort of transparency and and not being deceptive. Even if it's even if there's no real loss to anybody, I just think just sort of. So so the other reason you said you said the reason why it's very important to you is because yourself and myself are associated, and you didn't want to be associated with that kind of scammery. You know, it's funny. After I said that, that that is true in general. I didn't say scammery, but I just said, you know, anything that I do reflects will ultimately reflect on you to some degree. You know, we're not only doing a podcast together; we're doing a business together, and vice versa, right? So I have a little more vested in what you do in public or how you treat people or whatever, and you, in, just as you do with me. So I, 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 in some cases where it was somebody were that I knew who I thought they were doing something that was a little in the gray area, I may not raise an issue with them. With you, I, I might. Obviously, I'm better friends with you, so if you're a good friend of mine, I'm going to tell you what I think. That's sort of the, 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 the pro and the con of being a friend with me is I'll tell you what I think, if you, whether you want to hear it or not. And I sort of expect the same. But um, I, I actually, uh, I, I st- actually was thinking about this night, and it's like that wasn't why I brought it up. I, I never even thought about that. That was just sort of something I thought about while I was talking. It kind of came out of my mouth. But actually, I never even really, that, is, that isn't a reason why I brought it up. I didn't think how it reflected on me at all. One thing I'll say, though, just so you know, I mean, this is very, obviously, I'll raise issues like that's typical. I remember a good friend of mine in high school, I found out later, like when we were in college, that he was doing cocaine. And I, and I, and I was like, what? I was like, you know, Liardo was doing cocaine? Like, what the hell? Why didn't he tell me? And everybody's like, yeah, man, he told everybody, don't tell Roberts. Because <laughs> he knew I would lay into him big time. I'd be like, are you an idiot? I would be like, you know, he didn't want to hear it. <laughs> Right, so it's like all our friends knew except for me because he didn't want to hear it from me. So that's the, that's the I guess kind of what happens sometimes. I, but and on the scheme of things, I did put this all in the frame of reference. I mean, this really doesn't matter. You know, it's more, it's more, uh, it's more uh, principle than it, it has no effect. There's no uh, real, so it doesn't really matter that much. Well, you can rest assured, I'm manually tweeting <laughs> now and I'm reviewing everything that I send out. So. Well, let's That's see. Good. Let's see if people get mad at me because they're like, man, his feed was better. You ruined the feed. <laughs> Thanks All a lot, right. Robert. You ruined the feed. <laughs> okay, go on. So what's the next topic? Uh, oh, you know, what? I, one thing I, I mentioned a little bit, I just want to remind people, there's a, um, a bio on Bloomberg Risk Takers of Elon Musk. Um, it's an hour long sort of show. Uh, talks about what he did with uh, Zip2 was his first company, which he sold for some huge sum of money. It was like 23 or 26. And then he, then he, um, he, he started something called, uh, what was it called? X.com, which bought PayPal. So Max Lev, Levchin, Levkin, and uh, what was it the guy's name? Peter Thiel co-founded, started PayPal, but then he, the, his company bought PayPal. And then they, of course, he sold that, made a ton of money. And then he um, started uh, Tesla Motors and SpaceX and uh, Solar City, all of those are like world-changing companies, and it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing biology. So I would highly recommend that you go to go to um, you watch that. I watch it with Sandy. I made Sandy watch it with me, and I didn't made her, but I was like, "Hey, why don't you watch this with me?" We watched the first ten minutes the other night, but then it was getting kind of late, and she loved it. She's like, "Next night, she's like, all right, let's watch the rest of this." So yeah. that's how good it was. If my if 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 Sandy will watch it and it's about tech, it's it's definitely good. <laughs> you know. So we um we got uh, an email from James McGrath, um, a texting listener. He says, um, "Hi guys, uh, just wanted to ask if you could give us some updates on two things to do with Plugio. Uh, number one, how's that SEO service going that you did? Any positive effects? So have you stopped? And then number two is how's the affiliate referral guy going? Is that working out? So I can I can answer those. 
Um, the SEO service, uh, that's interesting because there, there was a line that I didn't want to cross. <laughs> <laughs> right. So with so with the SEO service, the way that the, the way that they were doing it was. Well, they you were remember putting- what I said too, right? You remember we were at MicroConf, and uh, you and once you kind of get a sense of what it really meant, I I said I wouldn't do it. I said I said I don't know. That doesn't sound like a good idea. I wouldn't do it. And then um, I think you when after I said that to you, and I I told you that I thought it was a bad idea, and I thought it was not not something you want to be involved in. You were definitely leaning in that area. You were, you just started. So you're like, ah, oh, gee, I don't know, you know? And then another friend of yours said the same thing. And then you were convinced you're like, all right, screw it. I'm out. Right. Yeah. So, so what they were doing was, well, cause I didn't really understand it at first, but then, then another friend of mine, Tyler, who's very, you know, experienced in, um, in that kind of stuff, he basically explained exactly what it was and showed me and it, what it, you know, what she was doing was putting the links in profiles of bulletin boards mm-hmm. and it basically just said plugio and then had a link to plugio in a pro- and it was like completely like you know profile boards of anything and everything so you could go to like a i don't know maybe like a manga discussion site and then in the in some random profile there would be a link to plugio and as soon as i saw that i was like oh i can understand why that's not good because it's just completely unrelated content but you know one thing but another thing, it, it really does seem to be like spam. Yeah, you, you don't want to get involved in that stuff for sure. So, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you pulled out of that. And then what happened? You tried to get your money back. Yes. Was I, was I unable to get the money back due to um, that, the terms and conditions that were originally signed? That was, that was in there. So because she, the she, uh, she, what was her name? It's, it's called, was it Woosh Traffic or something? Yeah, yeah. And you, it was like a week or two before she was even going to get started. And so she hadn't really done anything. And that's when um, you and I first discussed the issue of it not being. And then it was. She got she got like a hundred links out there or something like that. Okay, so before, just before barely got it. started, and then yeah, you're yeah. like asking for maybe half your money back for the site because yeah. she started and she said no, that's not the terms of service. But no refunds, which I thought was weird. I mean, you you think that for a you know for a chat show host. <laughs> it's, you it's, think it's, you'd give a refund, a refund for that, right? But anyway, I got I got a, a, um, a Skype message from her recently saying that they've changed their strategy, and now what they do is they have like an intermediary page. So basically, they'll they'll put up articles that link to your page, and then they'll do this thing to those articles. So they'll bolster the articles um, ranking by doing these profile postings to those articles, and then the articles will post to will point to you. So hopefully that will bring your ranking up, which is kind of like a second degree of, uh, <laughs> of shadiness. But anyway, right. 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 Yeah. So, so the long, the long and the short of it is, is no positive effects. Cause I stopped doing it. Right. Uh, so that's the answer to that one. So the, how's the affiliate referral guy going? Well, um, that was, uh, Zors. Um, uh, we interviewed him as well, Keith Pozain. And, um, he, he's did, send some traffic but basically nothing you know one, there was one conversion of a, of a lot of traffic that he sent so i don't know whether the keywords are wrong or whatever but um ultimately he said look this isn't working the way that it is so we need to set up a special custom landing page and that's been on my stack to do but i haven't had the time to do it because of my dad and also because of doing that contract so it's, it's something i need to do is to get up that landing page but basically nothing's come out of that affiliate affiliate stuff right right huh Okay, well, let's get an update on Plugio, since we're, since that's the top. Well, um, the first seven days of this month were awesome, like just loads of signups, and now it's back down to its low low rate of less signups. Well, what's um, so the low what, rate? What, 
uh, the, the low rate is kind of anything less than one and a half people signing up a day. Um, but now what I'm doing is I'm just getting, I, I've just kind of got the willpower to get back in there and start doing some updates. For example, I'm just, I'm just putting out that uh, functionality um, that allows people that will, that does the auto follow stuff. Right. Which actually um, Helmut Granada was, was working on, but it, it never actually came to any fruition. So uh, I've just, I've just taken the baton back and I'm, I'm working on that now. Well, what happened with that? Cause, cause Helmut did, he, he said he was amazingly productive. He was really, no, he was, he was really, really good and, and really got the concept, but I, I guess, I guess he must just have stuff going on. Well, see, that's the, that's the problem with friends helping you out with stuff. Cause I've had st- friends offer, Oh, I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. And you know, even people have, uh, you know, the right intentions and they want to help you out. You know, they have their own stuff. They have their own things pulling up. They have their family and employment and job, you know. And so yeah. they may have, uh, you know, they, they may be able to help you out a little bit for, you know, a day or two or for a week or two. But oftentimes, if, if, if it's not an ongoing um, thing where they're actually getting some personal return out of it, it's it you can't really expect them to uh to to continue to put an effort in i found that number of cases actually i've only done it a few times but i've seen i've i now i avoid it if someone says hey i'll do this for you i was like eh, you know <laughs> i'd rather pay someone to do it It doesn't no. work because it because it's, it's happened to us a couple of times in the show and it doesn't work like people you know people do have the best intentions when they when they start but then that's because they want to kind of be maybe involved with the show or whatever but then when they realize oh actually this really does involve my time it really does involve me working then it's it's not so easy to keep up that commitment. Well, I, yeah, I think people generally they probably they listen to the show and they they want to help us out and uh, they might at the moment when they're thinking about it, they actually do have some time, <laughs> but right. you know the amount of time the energy you have available really fluctuates. You know you could be kind of low things are kind of quiet for a couple of weeks you're like I'll help these guys and then all of a sudden you know the spigots turn on and you're crushed and you just got no time and you just can't help them out help help us out or help whoever out. So yeah, I, I generally I, I generally would rather codify relationships with you know, I will pay you X dollars, you know, to do Y. And I think so too. That's the plan. Cause, they, cause this is like this, it's happened to you a few times. Um, this, this scenario and it's happened to me a couple of times with Plugio as well. Um, you know, so I think the best thing to do is, is to pay. I mean, <laughs> the short of it is you can't really get anything for free in this. You world. can't get, get help these days. <laughs> and there's no, no such you can't get anything for free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no lunch. such thing as a free lunch. We, we used that's to have a cafe and, um, in one of the dorms at the University of Chicago called Tonstoffel. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Right, Tonstoffel. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I think cool. the whole free lunch theorem, all that stuff came out of the University of Chicago economics department. So some one of the economists. So I think that's why it was named that. But um, so you're all excited about that link you sent me, San Francisco cops jam well, right, let's, get, let's, let's jump on that one sec. I want to take one okay. one jump because I had a nice segue. So okay. we're talking about there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's an interesting article. Um, actually, it's a, a academic paper uh, that was written called um, basically proving that markets are efficient if and only if P equals NP. So, you know, they talk about like um, polyno- be able to solve a problem in polynomial time or non-polynomial time. So and there's what they call it. I know it well. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you might tweet it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know it. <laughs> okay, go on. So, um, you know, so in, in computer science, you like rank the difficulty of uh, a problem and uh, how it might, be, how, how, what it would take to solve it. And there's this ongoing argument about whether NP can be uh, proved to be uh, under certain conditions can be proved to be equivalent of to P or whatever. And I'm not an expert. This is real. This is real. 
uh, you know, type of computational complexity, computer science stuff. So I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know a lot about it, but what this guy does, he is, is in the, see, the other issue is in, 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 uh, economics and finance, the, the idea that the markets are efficient, meaning that you can't actually predict the market, you can't beat it, um, makes a lot of the math work really well in finance or in economics. If we can say that the market is perfect efficient, so it, 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 it basically, the current stock price, let's say of Apple, it has, it, 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 all available information about Apple and how much it's worth is embedded in that stock price. Therefore, it is the most accurate current representation of Apple. So you cannot predict and say, actually, uh, Apple is, is overvalued or undervalued, so I should buy it or sell it. Um, you can't do that because if it has the most accurate representation, then it has the most accurate representation based on the prediction of what is trajectory and what's going to happen, right? So mm-hmm. therefore, it almost makes no sense to, to trade stocks, right, if the market's efficient. Now, obviously, people who trade for a living and trading for hedge funds, mutual funds would argue that there are inefficiencies, there are ways to beat the market. And my opinion was that the market is mostly efficient but not efficient. It's kind of like it's it's hard. It's very very hard to beat the market. It is possible, but not many people can do it, and not many people can do it consistently. And usually, when they do do it, it's usually for short periods of time, and it's when there are certain inefi- structural inefficiencies based on uh, how market structures are changing, or how like you know, hey, you know, like we have an advantage in the market because we're a market maker, because we have you know our computers are closer to exchange, and we figured out some trick. But it usually doesn't last that long. But the fact that this guy was able to prove, at least in the paper, claims the proof. Um, and this is the Department of, this is uh, out of NYU, New York University, I guess, NYU Department of Finance and Risk Engineering. Um, and uh, he says, I prove that markets are efficient, meaning current prices fully reflect all information available in past prices. Then P equals NP, meaning every computational problem whose solution can be verified in polynomial time can also be sub- solved in polynomial time. I also prove the converse by showing that we can program the market to solve NP-complete problems. Um, since P, comp- since and, and, and by the way, yeah, I'll, I guess he says it better, so I'll just read this the last thing. He says, since P probably does not equal NP, markets are probably not efficient. Specifically, markets become increasingly inefficient as the time series lengthens or becomes more frequent. And the illustration by way of partitioning the excess returns of momentum strategies based on data availability confirms this prediction. So I don't know. For people who have any interest in the market, um, I, I, I find this thing fascinating. So it's like the, I mean, the, what is the difference between a stock and a horse? It just seems like the same. <laughs> I mean, basically, you'd have just as much chance of, of like predicting what's going to happen in a horse race as you do with a stock. Well, I don't know much about horse racing, but uh, I can tell you, predicting uh, you know the stock market is hard. <laughs> from my experience because i mean with a horse you know you have a breeder you have a jockey you have all of these things that should be able to tell you whether it's going to do well you know yeah you have all these mm. factors and yeah. you know i guess the the idea is that all of those factors that go in um to evaluating whether a horse will win that's all embedded in the current odds of it winning that particular race so therefore everybody knows all the same information um, and therefore everybody's opinions factor in and create this and, and is aggregated into this one some value and it's reflected as a stock price for stocks and it's, and it's, it's value. It, it, it results in a odds for a, uh, for a particular horse. There you mm-hmm. And of course on betfair.com, it is, it is like stock trading. So it, it essentially it's, it is like a stock price, the odds. 
So um, anyway, moving on to that, San Francisco cops uh, jam cell phones to prevent protest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why, why are we so excited about that? Well, you know, it's a couple of things. Well, first of all, I mean, this is the United States, right? I mean, we're not supposed to be, there's a right to free speech and a right to uh, free assembly. And so people want to gather at a location to protest uh, something, you know, the, the uh, authorities, whether they're federal or state or local, should not be getting in the way of that, um, assuming that they're not uh, destroying property or, uh, you know, something or, or anything like that. So, you know, and, and, and it was what's interesting is that the, U- the U.S. and, uh, you know, the Western European countries were so uh, strongly, um, I don't know, we're, we're putting a lot of lip service to the Arab Spring and you, the use of Twitter and Facebook for, for the for people power communicating, and then but then when it's used in the U.S. or in England, people get very upset about it. Right. And there was another thing that just came up. Where I just saw this morning. When I was eating my breakfast. Was the title was uh, this is on the electro, electron uh, the EFF or Electronic Frontier Foundations site. This is a um, a little yeah. they came up with. It's called British Prime Minister does a hundred and eighty on internet censorship, and he says. Um, Essentially, which is funny because they were really pro, I mean, David Cameron was very pro uh, technology and, and, and everything and what was going on in the Arab Spring. And he says, um, but he, they want to use, they, they, they're trying to meet with Twitter, Facebook, and uh, BlackBerry to, uh, to be able to censor these things and shut these things down so people cannot use them to organize themselves, you know, whether it's protest or, or, or a riot. So, and I can understand they have riots and stuff, but that's you're, now you're getting into a really murky area. I mean, the riots are bad, but, you know, because he says, well, the quote they yeah, have I mean, from me, he says, when, when people are using social media for violence, we need to stop them. So we are working with the police, the intelligence services, and industry to look at whether it would be right to stop people communicating via these websites and services when we know they are plotting violence, disorder, and criminality. I have also asked the police if they need any other new powers. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. It's going to get them a lot of bad bad press but also it's going to get i mean anonymous and those guys are going to get you know then you, you don't really want to to start a cyber war you know you don't want to start a cyber war but even for that you, you i mean the problem is that this happens this has been happening this has been a like a one-way slide for both england and the u.s for the last i don't know 20 years or so and a really accelerating since 9-11 which is that sacrificing uh liberty for security you know it's like you you you're giving all you giving all these additional powers to the government, you know, uh, rendition and torture and and uh, holding people without bringing them to trial and surveilling the internet and uh, national security level uh, letter abuses from you know the FBI. I mean, it's just it just goes on and on and on. All these civil rights abuses, especially which, since nine eleven was completely Machiavellian. Yeah. What do you mean by that? As in, it was a uh, it was um, an inside job. I think, well, let's get to that in a second. Okay, but um, the the bottom line is that you know when you 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 it's a very dangerous game uh, uh, trade to start trading off you know freedom, uh, especially for what are you know uh, pur- purportedly uh, democracies, where we're supposed to be you know in charge of the government, and we get less information and we get more surveilled and we lose our rights to to assemble and communicate. Um, and for this idea of, of uh, additional security, when I think most things show that we are not more secure, we're probably less secure than we were. That's that's my opinion on it. I think this is just a you know, and and what governments tend to do is they use any sort of uh, 
emergency of any kind to like invoke, give themselves new powers and take away rights. And, and unfortunately, uh, most uh, populations go along with it. They don't fight back very hard. And you just have a few, a few voices like the EFF and the ACLU and uh, some other organizations are like, hey, wait a minute, this is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. But uh, and that's that's the same thing with the San Francisco, uh, the San Francisco uh, thing, the the jam. So actually, they didn't jam the cell phones. What they did is the uh, the uh, I, I think it was the uh, Bart. I think it was the Bart security Bart, uh, um, which is Bart is the um, the transit uh, system. I can't remember what Bart stands for, but that's like an acronym for their like uh, I don't know what you call it. Uh, uh, what's the term? The rail system uh-huh. and. Uh, they uh, they they got in touch with uh, the I give I don't know if it was uh, one of the cell companies and told them to to just turn it off like don't allow cell signals in this area of vicinity. So in in response to the London riots, what they're trying to do is they're trying to, in certain cases, evict people from their houses who who participated in the riots. So there's a a, um, a teenager and his mum are facing eviction from their family home after after he was caught looting during the riots. Mm-hmm. In a landmark case, the 18-year-old and his mom could lose their council-owned flat as authorities get tough after the days of violence. What do you think about that? Do you think that it's right to basically turf a family out? Like, I mean, I, bearing in mind that these, these people that have a, have a council-owned home and that that home they haven't really had to pay for. And that there's, so it's because their son did this, they're going to kick the whole family out? Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think, it sounds, sometimes it sounds like a good idea that you make parents somehow accountable for their kids what their kids do but i think it's a really bad idea because ultimately you can't control your kids especially once they become teenagers there's only so much you can do you're 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 not in full control of them it's not like the three-year-olds and even when they're three-year-olds you don't have complete control of them you know um you, you know you do you know i'm at the playground it's like your your kid you know threw sand at my kid you know it's like i don't you know hold on to his arms every second of the day you know it's like you can't control them and uh it's just part of it and uh I, I don't know. I think that's a bad idea. But it just seems so tit for tat. Well, I mean, tit for tat is fine in terms of a justice system. It's like you know, you, I mean, to some degree, it's like you know, you do crime, you you you, you do the time, right? I mean, you know, you don't, you know, you do something, and there's a there's a reason that there's a justice system not only for the uh, the victim, but to, to prevent other people from doing it and say, hey, you know, you you did X, you're going to go spend X years in jail and then, uh, you know, hopefully you won't do it again because that'll suck. <laughs> but making families uh, pay the price when they don't really have control. I mean, what do you limit? Is it just that the mom or dad or the sister suffer or the kids suffer? Or does grandma and grandpa suffer? Or do, I mean, how, when do you stop? I mean, who, who's ultimately responsible? Is, is the parents responsible even though the, the dad lived in a different part of the uh, country? I mean, does he pay or hadn't seen him in a year? Or maybe, I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't, uh, I don't think that, I don't think that that makes a lot of sense if you think about it for more than 10 seconds. Do you think that something like the London riots could happen in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. It could. Um, well, I think one of the, I think one of the problems uh, um, with, uh, I think one of the reasons it's happening, we talked a little bit about this, and um, is that when you start removing services uh, and you start making things not work for the less privileged or just say the the poor, right? You know, and and, and then you can have trouble. And especially what's really dangerous is when you have a lot of young men who are unemployed, frustrated, and uh, and, uh, angry. 
then you're 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 then you're gonna have problems um because that's where most of the crime comes from that's uh and that's you know when you're when you're you know i i mean i tell you when you're between the ages of 16 and 24 you're looking for a fight <laughs> no you're a young buck you're looking to kick ass you guys go out on a weekend night you know and there's some party that's always looking for action you're looking for adventure you're looking for action and sometimes that turns into violence and sometimes it turns into crime and uh you know and when you have 20 percent or whatever it's 25 percent of that group in england is unemployed um you're just kind of asking for trouble and then it's one of the problems i think with governments is that they look back and go oh well you know these are all just you know looters and criminals and you know maybe in the end it kind of turned into that but what you do is you have to look at like well why did this happen for the first and in the first place and oftentimes with governments and this is particularly the case with with the u.s and i think it's also the case with probably most countries is that they is as far as far as i concerned history started yesterday or started today there was no yeah. we don't look back and go well why did that happen you know well, what we look at like 9-11 or then why were we attacked they attacked us for our freedoms they're crazy they're evil is that that really that's it that's the extent of our thinking on that there's nothing we did nothing i mean is there nothing that the government did in england that might have help to make this happen over the past years. I mean, I'm not real familiar with uh, British uh, politics, so I can't really go too deep into it, but I think they're probably underlying causes, and I think the employment situation is probably part of the problem. And one last thing I'll say is there was a link, I almost sent it to you, but I, I think I forgot, was the, um, there was someone talking about, uh, yeah, it's just herring, her- her- Herringy, I can't pronounce it. Herringy youth club closures. He says there will be riots, and this was on the Herringay. Herringay youth club closures. He says after Herringay Council shuts eight of its thirteen youth clubs, local teenagers fear boredom will fuel violence between young gang members on the streets of North London. And this was on July thirty first. Hmm. I'll send it to you. So there are people out there, and he's basically saying this is going to happen. You get, you know, you 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 having more of these young people, and now they got nowhere to go and nothing to do. What's going to happen? So. um <clears throat> Uh, we, you you needed to head at ten, did you? You needed to 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 call it a you day. Know, we, actually, I can go a little later. Uh, we just we realized that um, I can take a second car, and Sandy's going to take her car, and I'm going to meet her over there in a little bit. And so let's just talk just a little bit more because I got oh, a that's couple good. things. Yeah. So. Okay. Go on. What? So have you got any tech stuff? Well, I got some things. Oh, what a thing I want to say. You know, you know. Do I want to talk about this or not? What the hell? Um, we'll talk about it for just a minute because we're going to okay. politics stuff. So I'm going to make this quick, but you know. Um, a guy who was a secure, national security advisor, Richard Clark, uh, he was, I think he was appointed by Clinton and he served through the Bush term or much of the Bush, Bush term. And uh, he had a lot to do with counterintel- uh, counterintelligence, counterterrorism uh, stuff. And he, um, I think he wrote a book with something like Our Government Failed You or something like, you know, talking about why the government didn't intercept the, the 9-11 attacks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, he just was interviewed. There was a big... Um, uh, and I got to find the link to it. Um, there was a, uh, a big documentary he was interviewed for, interviewed for that was on ABC. Um, and it's, I think there's going to be even a longer, um, thing coming out where he basically says that, uh, he thinks, uh, George Tenet, who was the director of the CIA and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, two other guys that they were aware of two of these, um, the nine 11 hijackers, and that they covered their ass and he was never told about it. And he, they knew where they were because initially that the CIA was trying to recruit them to infiltrate Al-Qaeda, but they weren't <laughs> able to. But then when they found out, uh, but they never, 
he was never informed of. And he said, if we had known about these guys, even a week before 9-11, we would have found them. We would have found these guys in 24 hours. Um, and it would, and 9-11 would never have happened. He's like, but because the CIA was trying to cover their ass, um, the, uh, and he says, I can't prove it. I don't have evidence, but he's like, I've been thinking about this for years. And, he, oh, and he's like, it, to this day, it doesn't make sense that I was not, that we were not told we sat in these counterintelligence meetings, these counterterrorism meetings, and these names were not brought up. The FBI was not informed. And, and uh, he's like, it's just, um, and of course. And so, the, so it's, it's a, are you saying it's a conspiracy theory to no, the, the reason no, no, why no, he wasn't told? No, 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 no. Well, he, well, he's, that's his, he thinks what happened. He can't prove it. But um, what he's saying is, um, I mean, this is a, this is, this is, uh, get as high up as you can get within the government, within this inside, right? And you talk about the, na- the national security advisor, and he's saying that uh, the CIA was covering their ass, um, and that these guys could have been caught. And um, there's going to be more. I mean, now, so now you have uh, 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 George Tenet, uh, ex- you know, who's the director of the CIA, and some other guys are all like joint letters condemning the statements like this is a reckless statement and this is not true and da 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 but then there's like more evidence coming out or he's going to say some other things or there's some other stuff that might have these guys actually all pointing the finger at each other and that's when more information comes out when you have all these guys sort of turning state's witness or, or like pointing fingers at each other mm. um then you can find out more of you know stuff so it'd be interesting to find out like you know what i mean because a lot of times like things happen and uh you just get you get kind of a, I would say cover up, but kind of whitewashed, the simplified story. We don't want to go back. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody gets, you know, uh, punished for failing. It was all just kind of miscommunications. Everybody had the best intentions. But sometimes it's, uh, it's a little, it's a little more now. There's some cover, there's some ass covering and there's some um, people not doing a good job or people who knew things and didn't talk about them or didn't inform the right people for reasons that weren't right. And that's why it made things happen. So I think we should do tech now. Yeah, <laughs> let's do some tech. Um, so Apple to load sys, you'll have to go through us to sue iOS devs. Hmm. Um, so load sys, I think was I, I I'm blanking on the uh, but they so they were um, they're the patent troll guys. One of the patent trolls, I think they're probably one of the intellectual ventures shell companies, one of their 1300 or whatever it is, some odd shell companies. Yeah, and uh, Apple basically got a ruling um, that they can defend, that they can jump in and say you're gonna have to sue us. Um, hmm. Because patent trolls don't want to sue the big ones at first, because um, you know they have the they have the they have the ability to fight it and then ultimately render the patents. Uh, so how do they get that ruling? I, I basically they prove that these um, these smaller companies that are being sued are their business partners and they have a vested interest in this, you know, that this lawsuit and was able to you know get the interesting. Equity. So that's just this one lawsuit, but or is it like? In general, anything that pertains to any business partner of Apple, no, no, no. It. it was just this case, but you know that you know the way a law works is about precedent, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's a good precedent if you can have Apple and Google and other big companies with huge uh, uh, war chests of uh, that can fund you know all the lawyers in the world, then they can start creating a, a bulwark against this these patent trolls. I mean that might. That that might be the case in some instances. They, they I mean, I wouldn't say it's not going to be a cure all, but it'll help. Well, since Apple has more money than America, <laughs> um, the the American government now in in reserves, 
um, they can certainly they can certainly <laughs> stump up the cash. I think Plugio has more money in reserves. <laughs> uh, what's this Apple? Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because there was a TechCrunch article. Uh, it was like Apple pushes past Exxon to become the most valuable public company in the world, at least. Yeah. In so uh, that's interesting. I was kind of thinking that I was like after watching this um, uh, this bio of uh, of Elon Musk. Yeah, and you know, because Tesla is public, it's like, man, if I had a little extra cash, I mean, right now we're just focused on paying down debt, so I'm not, you know, playing the market on anything. But I, I wouldn't really be playing. I, I, the one thing I would do is I would bet on people. You know how like we talk about venture capital firms will yeah. bet on entrepreneurs and the ideas. I would bet on Elon Musk. You know, I would hmm. bet Elon Musk to me is the. I mean, I think he's he still has a little more time to continue to prove it, but I think he is our the most impressive entrepreneur in modern times. I think. How old is he? 40. Huh. It's only 40. PayPal, Tesla, SolarCity, SpaceX. I mean, what he's done with SpaceX by itself is just unbelievable. 1.5 billion in uh, contracts with NASA and they have like 40 launches on their, uh, on their manifest to, 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 to put satellites in orbit and to uh, get stuff back and forth to the International Space Station. I mean, so buy stock in Tesla Motors. Yeah, I would buy Tesla. You know, I would. I, I mean, I wouldn't put on, but I, he, that would be one that I'd buy. It's like buy. Who are the most impressive entrepreneurs? Bezos, Bezos, I guess you pronounce Bezos, Jobs. You know, Musk. I mean, who who are, who are the guys who are going to probably win under most? You just wouldn't want to go against them. Hmm. You know, they just they're they're just, they're creative. They're relentless. They just have the right ideas. They just make it happen. And one of the things that was really interesting in the. Um, in the uh, uh, the sort of the the story about him was talking about how when um, uh, Tesla was about to go under, he uh, and I remember reading about this that he put his last forty million dollars, his all of it, to save Tesla. That was it. It was going to go under, and he saved it with all of their all of his own money. He was going to go broke. He was going to go from having one hundred eighty million to having nothing to save it. And uh, Steve Jurvetson who's one of the VCs was interviewed uh, for the show and was on there. He was like, that was such an act of heroism. All the rest of the VCs like, I got to get in on this. This is amazing. <laughs> right? If this guy's going to put his last 40 minutes, we're in, you know, like that show of absolute fearless support um, is what saved Tesla. What's he the name believed, of the documentary? He believed in it. Um, I don't just type in, I, I'll, I'll put, I'll, I'll put a link on the show, but it's like, it's Bloomberg risk takers uh, is the series. They print, they do, if done a number of interviews and, uh, Elon Musk, I guess profile, just type that into the Google and you'll get it. I'd like to watch that. And, and, and is, did you watch that on Roku, Netflix or? No, no, I just watch it on the laptop. Just, oh, okay. Right, right. You know, I mean, it, okay. Yeah. The, but link to it. it. Great. It is, uh, it's fantastic. Um, so on to other things. Oh, <laughs> this is totally off topic, but uh, I, I did a little post on um, on uh, there's you know who goes. Do you remember the remember the, uh, the movie uh, Napoleon Dynamite? Do you ever see that? Yeah. You know where Pedro, his buddy, vote for Pedro. <laughs> yeah. He actually works out at my gym. <laughs> he does like every day. Right. Yeah, I'm like doing spin class with him yesterday. You know, okay. He's a clown yeah. too. He's always clowning around. Like you can see why he's 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 a, just a funny guy. Like he's joking around with everybody and just kind of, you know. I thought that was kind of interesting. I my a buddy of uh, mine. You said you said something about doing a post. A post. You said I've done a post, and then you brought this up. Oh, I posted a. I posted a. Uh, I made a little comment on um, Google Plus about it. Um, about mm. about the fact that uh, he was there because a friend of mine, uh, the the friend of our of ours who lives in Sweden, whose wedding we went to, 
he really wants a vote for Pedro t-shirt. <laughs> that's sort of this underground thing. I guess he, a bunch of his friends are like nuts about the movie and he's like, he wants that shirt that's just going to drive his friends crazy because they're going to be like, that's awesome. So I was thinking I could get that and maybe get, uh, maybe get him to sign it. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> it's just, just kind of funny that this guy is right down the, you know, he's working out right next to me. Hey, so I'm going to ask you a question. How's the juice diet going? Oh, um, well, actually, I, I think I'm kind of off it right now. Oh, um, what happened? Well, so I did it for 10 days, mm-hmm. uh, lost 11 pounds. And then on the 11th day, I just had to eat something. I, I just needed, the, I needed to chew something. So I had some broccoli. So I chewed some broccoli. And then the day after, I had another salad. So I've, what I've done is I've had salads. I'm actually on day 13 now, so it's like three days in. But since that day 12, I've just stuck at, at that weight of just losing 11. So for the last three days, I've drank juice, but I've also had a salad. Mm-hmm. And then basically it seems to have stopped the weight loss. But I, I, to be honest, I don't really think it stopped the weight loss. I think that it's just that I've got some food in my system. Well, it's just fluctuation. Yeah. Just water weight fluctuation. I mean, I've... I don't know. It's it's like uh, it's like looking at your analytic. We talk about uh, looking at your analytics too often. Your metrics, mm-hmm. like you know, conversions and your traffic. It's just you get obsessed. It's like weighing yourself every day. Yeah, you can't look so, at it every day. You can't like, once a week or so. Um, that said, I tend to do it every day late night. Now that I've been working out, <laughs> but I know it's counterproductive because if I don't lose weight for two or three days, I'm like, damn it, you know, I've been working so yeah. hard and. Uh, you know, because I my my workout schedule yeah, is kind of different from yours, which is that it's like where yours is, you know, 100 percent diet. Mine is 95 uh, percent working out like I've I've cut a little bit out of my off, off my eating. And I've kind of made my I've had dust, little smaller dinners and I have soup a couple nights a week. But other than that, I eat the same as I have. But it I just, seems like a punishment, like you, like you have to do that much effort and, and uh, work to to burn the same 500 calories. It is, but I, I, I would rather I would rather go an hour spin class or spend an hour on the elliptical and lift weights for a half hour and then come home and eat pizza. <laughs> you know, for me, I'd rather go a pollo loco and have a coke and you know uh, I don't know have just eat eat normally. Well, you know, not not ever be hungry. So I, I, I guess it all depends on uh, kind of where you are in that. I mean, I you know, and then I just kind of cut off the edges of, of you know I make sure I don't overeat. I mean, you know, I don't eat a whole pizza. I have like three or four slices and then I'm done. But I, I've lost I've lost two inches off my waist. So in the last uh, about uh, five weeks or so, six weeks, I've, I've, you know, definitely lost some weight. Well, so, good job. Well done. But it's, it's definitely hard work, man. There's no question about it. So I was thinking about it. I actually had an idea for a uh, blog post. Um, uh, yeah, this Which is you're never going to write, though. Blog post number 237. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> be written at some point. But the yeah. idea was that there's a there's sort of like a, I think I can compare losing weight to doing a startup. So ideally the best way to ensure that you're going to lose weight and uh you know get your body back in shape generally which is may put on some muscle get get fitter is a combination of diet and exercise. Now you can do it with pure diet but it's harder and you're not going to you're going to lose muscle and you can do it by just working out really, really hard and not dieting, but it takes longer and it's a lot harder. You're, you're not ensuring that that's going to work. The, the, the way to really guarantee his work is to do both. And I think that's kind of similar to um, uh, 
to, to doing a startup in the sense that there's the technology and the business side. I mean, you've seen people who've launched startups and it's mostly just technology. You know, they didn't do much business and either it just took off on its own or they just happened to know some, somebody in another company and, and they just kind of got bought early on by just building cool technology, right? And vice versa, you've seen people who really just kind of outsourced the technology, weren't technical themselves, or they just leveraged sort of free technology and then just kind of cobbled some things together and it was just mostly a business play. And but I think the best way to ensure that your startups succeed is that you um, engage in both. That you really do a good job on the business side, and you do a good job on the technology side. Yeah, that's think, a, that's a nice think, analogy. That's that was my latest thoughts. I had some more notes on it, but for some reason, my screen is is uh, my mouse has died, <laughs> so I can't. I'm trying to get to my notes. So I can come with my other. I can't get. Oh, of course, because you don't have a laptop, do you? You've got you've got um, the desktop, so you really do rely on the mouse. Well, why don't you just unplug it and plug it back in? Then it'll probably work. The well, it's the mouse's uh, batteries. Ah, the wireless. I mm. see. I don't like that because I find them too heavy. You like you kind of have to push them around a lot versus the wired that are much lighter. Hmm. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Well, hopefully they'll have that whitricity soon. Yeah, I've got batteries cool. and they'll be really light. That, that, that's probably come up next year, a couple of years, I would guess. Um, because I, I saw a demonstration, and I think you've probably, you probably, I, I saw the video that you, you had watched on, um, what was it, uh, TED Talks? That's, that's the one where, yeah, yeah, the, so where he walks in between the TV. So he walks through the electricity stream, although it's, yeah. it's a magnetic stream when he's walking through it. Right. So it's, and it was within a meter or so. And it yeah. finally, they powered the Android and iPhone for a demonstration. This is like a year or two ago. So, I don't know. Hopefully we'll see something soon about that. So um, I had a couple small ones. Let's just kind of blow through a couple small ones. And, and then call it a wrap because I, I have to make a move. Okay. So adding Tame.js to CoffeeScript. So right. there was a cool thing called Tame.js that came out for Node, which one of the big, one of the big uh, I guess, struggling uh, things that people struggle with with Node is the asynchronous nature of it. So it's like if you have to do things in sequence that depend on the results of the previous... Um, results of the previous call, and they're all and they're all to remote services, like to a database or to some remote service or something. You just have to put closure within closure within closure. Kind it of thing. gets it gets indented, and then it's hard to read. It's not like you're looking at it sequentially. Well, and and another thing too is a lot of times what you want is they don't depend on each other, but they all need to run before you can do something else. So I had done that before, where I would say each one returns a uh, a boolean value, and then once all of them are true. And every time one of them call, returns, they call this like check callback. And then when all the booleans are true, then we're done with that set of calls. And we can combine the results and do what we need to do. That's a lot of sort of inf, you know, infrastructure. That's a lot of code to make all that work, right? Um, and there's something called Tame.js, which makes that look, uh, you could just put these little blocks around it. And it makes it all working right, like just sequential one after the other. And, mm. and, it, and, and then it, but it Tame.js is like a, a, pre-compi- is like a, comp- or a pre-compiler compiler. It, it basically takes that those sort of constructs and then compiles it into equivalent JavaScript so you don't have to write it. That's but, good. but you know, CoffeeScript does the same thing in the sense that it, you write its own, you're writing the CoffeeScript language and you run a compiler on it, which in turns into JavaScript. And I was thinking, man, you know, that would be really cool if you had those tame JS constructs into CoffeeScript. So it got rid of the most difficult part of writing uh, a Node.js type code, which is the series of asynchronous calls and uh, if you could also do it in CoffeeScript without having to do a pre-compiler to a pre-compiler. So it turns out that Jeremy Ashcanis, who wrote CoffeeScript, really likes Tame.js and is writing that into CoffeeScript. So Pardo make it make, do the Excellent. same thing, which I think, I think is really cool. I think Tame.js came out of OkCupid, which is that big dating site that writes all these kind of 
crazy blog posts. They get a lot of attention off these crazy blog posts they write with all their like analytics for anyone who's read those. So another one thing I saw the other day was something called safecast.org. Have you heard? It's called, it's, is that safecast.org called safecast? Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah. You know what that is? Uh, no. So basically a bunch of guys are, are, and girls are driving around Japan with Geiger counters and putting down markers of like what the radiation level is and putting on a map so that you can go to safecast.org and you can see what the actual radiation levels are everywhere. And they're just starting yeah. out near the Fukushima reactor. And it, the reason I found out about it was like, I was like Wednesday or something and I was going to lunch and, um, the, uh, and I heard it was at, it was like a NPR type of story. And the guy they interviewed, they're like, "Oh, thanks." Uh, you know, the guy with the interview was Sean Bonner. I was like, "I know that guy." <laughs> it's like I, I, he was one of the guys. It was it was, uh, it was me and Sean, uh, Kareem Mayan, and Ian. Oh, I forget his name. Um, uh, who who uh, organized the first uh, Bar Camp LA? I haven't really. Oh seen, yeah, yeah. Seen. I remember you talking about that. So Sean Bonner worked at Boing. Works at Boing Bang, I think, and he's you know kind of big in that area. But I was funny hearing him uh, on the being interviewed i'm like the guy's voice sounded a little familiar and i'm like this is really cool and so it was neat that i actually knew the guy this episode made me think that i i think it would be a good idea for you to ping me some some links before the show starts just so i've got something intelligent to say about some of this stuff yeah i know i've been keeping you to do that just ah, just so far behind oh you know another couple of things so i um i uh did, did we talk i don't know if we talked about the show that how i was interviewed for that on uh, that high frequency trading Topic? We didn't talk about it on the show, but you sent you sent me the blog post, and I think we had a private chat about it. Yeah, so some guy contacted me. He was a writer for, uh, you know, I don't have it up right now with this magazine, and they were covering high-frequency trading, and he asked me a series of questions, and I kind of blew it off for a couple of weeks. So I remember you and I were at MicroConf, and I was like, ugh, I don't want to answer all these questions, <laughs> you know, in this email. And then I felt kind of guilty about it, and I emailed him back, and I'm like, hey, you know, I, if it's not too late, I'll, still, I'll answer your questions if you like. And so he said, yeah, please. So I did, and I answered Wrote, wrote some decent responses, I thought. And this article came out, and like he has like two really long quotes from me on it, like you know, describing like what it takes to succeed in high frequency trading and what kind of skills you need or that kind of thing. And so then I got a bunch of emails from people asking for my advice on how to and about high frequency trading. One guy's asking <laughs> me about for data feeds, another guy's like wants to change his career, and and this one guy um, works for a, a big uh, bank. And, um, he, uh, he's, he's not real happy with the bureaucracy of the bank and they do algorithmic trading, which he's a part of, but he wants to get to the smaller trading operation. And so I ended up, he asked me a bunch of questions and I, you know, an email and I said, look, just call me on Skype. I don't want to answer this long email. So we ended up talking for a little while. And the gist of it is that I ended up hooking up with an interview with a friend of mine. So anyway, I, I, um, let's just say this. So I, I, uh, was able to hook him up with an interview with a friend of mine who works at a high-frequency trading shop. So that was kind of neat. Like, all those sort of small things happen. You know, you get interviewed, people, you know, conversation, and, you know, and uh, you just make these little connections. So that was awesome. cool. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so it's weird. It's the back. Remember I told you everything comes through the bad cave here, my little office? Like, you just <laughs> stay here, and it's, like, weird. I just keep getting hooky people up. A friend of mine, Schumann, who's, he is guy i went to we played soccer together at university of chicago and he went on to get his phd in math and computer science and uh he's been doing some consulting work but and 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 i think he's looking for something a little more um long term and then i and i told uh curtis over to uber i'm like hey you know i think i have a guy for your math department because they've hired a nuclear physicist a mathematician and a 
guys a PhD in machine learning what? for what they call their math department. Was there any news on um, Uber? Because I, I know that you were going to do, are you going to open source something for the for the Node.js guys or you're going to have uh, some kind of article about you for the Node.js yeah, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we haven't written the article yet. Someone emailed me like, like I, I, I need to talk to Curtis about that because he needed to get the okay on the article that, he, that, that we're going to write from from Travis and like the way we're going to write. Like, I guess they have a certain voice that they try and speak from on the Uber website. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I was saying this kind of like he said, she said kind of, fun article to about how the how we built the uber infrastructure and um i don't know uh so i so i don't know if you ever got the it got an okay on what we're going to do so it just doesn't happen but um yeah the the guys over at joint and node.js uh they want us to uh, joint funds ryan doll full-time to work on node.js and i think they have a few guys who just work on that stuff full-time there and they really want uh us to uh open source the slave master stuff that Curtis and I wrote. And also the other big thing that is their Mongo wrapper, which Guyon wrote. Um, so I, I kind of bring Guyon into all these little projects. What's the, what's the business model when, when they fund like, so these guys are funding those guys to, to build Node.js full time. What's their kind of business model? How are they going to make money through that open source effort? I just think that uh, they were, Joyant had decided to put a lot of effort and development effort into building a their backend in JavaScript because they wanted one set of languages and tools for both their client and server sides. Um, okay, so it's just like a it's just like a task for them. It's not like they're hoping to make money off Node.js. No, no, yeah, it's just it's just they're 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 getting a huge amount of value off of having. Um, oh, I see a, a Node.js being pushed forward, and so rather than it being some open source effort, and they're like trying to get trying to cajole the developers of the core team to make these changes and fixes that they just bring them in a house and say, Hey, listen, you know, um, we'd like to have some say in the priority list and some of these things that we really need to be have stabilized or improved, hmm. you know, so that's worked. So that's, uh, that's the deal with, uh, with, uh, that Uber stuff. So I don't know. I mean, so, but, uh, when I told, uh, Guyon about the idea of open sourcing that he was like, Whoa, I want to, I want to make some changes on the Mongo wrapper before it gets open sourced, you know, give right. name on something like, yeah, built by Guyon. And people are like, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then you really want to show off your best work. Winter factor. So I think, uh, and Curtis wants, uh, I think he and I will probably take a, 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 another look at a slave master to make sure that that's, you know, solid. I mean, it works great for us, but um, it was funny too. He was, he, they were talking, they were interviewing some guy, and they were like, we're blown away by his uh, technical chops. But they were one thing they were concerned about. It's like, you know, um, this guy was thinking very sort of, uh, I don't know, enterprise level of, of, uh, of process oriented and infrastructure, you know, type of very button down type of infrastructure. And mm-hmm. Kurt is like, yeah, man, we're like ghetto fabulous. <laughs> it's not. It's like, that's not really how we roll. And uh, it's kind of true, you know, because we're kind of, you know, and it probably has something to do with my influence a little bit. And I think Curtis as well, which is that, you know, I'm definitely a cowboy coder, you know. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, just code it and roll it out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) People are like, well, we got to have this battery of tests and we have this q and I'm like, screw it. We code it and roll it out. You know, let's just make it happen. Oh, we need a technology feasibility study, and then we need to ah, you know. I mean, you know, it's not all me. Obviously, I'm just I'm the only non-employee in their engineering team. They got like twelve people, but Curtis and I built the core components of the the you know the dispatch server and then the Godview stuff. And uh, 
yeah, there's a certain amount of ghetto fabulous, I think. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm probably going to have to call this show a wrap pretty soon. That's fine. You know, it's funny because I still had a uh, great to- a couple of fun topics. We'll leave for next week. So I wanted to talk about the finding DNA on these meteorites. Yeah, well, let, let's leave, let's leave that for next week. I, right. I, I, I do have to head. Sorry. About the UFO that was, that was possibly found in the Baltic Sea between Finland and Sweden. <laughs> okay, it may not be a UFO. But it's perfectly round. Well, we've already gone way, you know, so off topic for this show anyway. I think that uh, <laughs> I say, moving I on to aliens is a little bit too saw, far. I totally saw that X Files episode <laughs> at least once. <laughs> okay. Anyway, all right. That's a wrap. We're out.